0: Welcome to episode number 88 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Coloney, and today's episode, we're talking about dust explosion loss history in Sweden from the period from 2011 to 2017, and we're doing that with Ken Nesby, senior consultant with BSL Industries, formerly Process Safety Group, based out of southern Sweden. Ken works in fire and explosion safety and has for over 30 years as a specific focus on dust explosions. Ken, I want to say a big thank you and give you a big welcome to come on the Dust Safety Science Podcast today.
1: Okay, thank you very much, and uh, it's my pleasure.
0: Really excited to have Ken on. Um, we first met, I think, a couple of years ago at Ishmi in Kansas City. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's that's correct.
0: I was presenting some of my thesis research, and Ken was presenting a paper on metal dust explosions in Sweden uh, that he he did with his co-authors there. And we've been talking back and forth about his work. He recently launched with a team in Sweden, safedustexplosion.org, which is a Swedish website that's devoted to dust explosion safety. And he also does a lot of work in process safety industries, as well as some of his work in in the research side as well. So I want to get him on today to talk through what he's seen with this lost history in Sweden and some of his work. Uh, We're going to talk about why was the, the systematic review that he completed done? How was the information collected? What were some of the main findings from this lost history of dust explosions in Sweden? So, Ken, maybe a good place to jump in is, what is your, your role in ha- industries handling combustible dust within Sweden today?
1: Well, uh, I, I've been involved in, in uh, dust explosion uh, questions in Sweden for more than three decades now. I was the, for, for was the, the co-founder of uh, process safety companies as uh, urgent safety advisors, as well as process safety group. And uh, now nowadays I'm employed at the BSL industry. Uh,
0: so that's uh, the bar- background, and I work as a senior safety advisor. And as uh, a senior,
1: I'm also a mentor for the younger consultants. And, uh, I've been author for a few books for the Swedish Process Safety Association as well as the Swedish Fire Protection Association training leader and open courses as well as customized courses uh, for, for special practices. And uh, also my background is that how, how I was involved in, in, in Dust Explosion from the beginning it was my uh, mentor my mentor um, Professor Rolf Eckert from the University of Bergen uh, now well over it, uh, 80 years, uh, but still going strong. And he was also listening when we were in Kansas uh, when I when I presented uh, my paper. And he introduced me to this topic. And uh, I was a training leader and he was a lecturer at the Sweden Fire Protection Association at that time. And it was back in the 80s. I found it very fascinating and... Uh, the basics are very fundamental, but on, on the other hand, yeah, there is there so much to learn. In, in, there is so much work, research done. But, but the, I think the, the main um, uh, challenge is to, to get the knowledge out to, to, to the stakeholders, to the industry, and yeah, the, the branches that need, need, need this knowledge. And yes, I'm the co- co-founder of, of, of Safe Dust Explosion as well, the, the, the Knowledge Center for Prevention of Dust Explosion. Um, and we're also excited to be a partner organization to, to, to your organization, uh, Dust Safety Science. We really appreciate the work you do on a global basis and hope to support you uh, from the Nordic uh,
0: yeah i couldn't agree more and i appreciate the work that you're doing in sweden dr rolf eckhoff has really paved the way for the understanding of dust explosions from fundamental research and then bringing into industry application i was fortunate enough to actually see him several times throughout my career but uh i i met him in in 2018 in kansas city and then in 2016 i think in bergen i got to see him play the trombone and his wife play the uh, piano at a, at a dinner there, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> but Dr. Ekoff has over 50 years' experience, probably going on on 60 or more now in dust explosion research. So he's really, you know, the prominent figure, prominent authority, in, at least in this last century, I'd say for for research in this area, and he's brought up a lot of great, you know, been a mentor to a lot of folks like yourself um, directly, and then also a mentor to a lot of folks like myself more indirectly through his work and his research. So. Um, I, I'd like to say thank you to him, and hopefully I'll get to see him again. Um, Ishmi is canceled this year, but but maybe at the next one. In terms of um, incidents in Sweden and lost history in Sweden, I do I want to come back to the safe dot org and what brought that up. But I think before then, what brought on this this desire to do a review of dust explosion lost history in Sweden um, that you were presenting at at Ishmi? What what were the key drivers there for doing this research?
1: Well, it, it, it initially started uh, with uh, one of the participants of, of, of one of the courses, he uh, was an in, uh, inspector at the uh, Swedish Environmental Safety, uh, Yeah, the Swedish Work Environment Authority, that is the, the uh, national uh, authority that uh, handles questions about dust explosions. And uh, we we got in uh, touch and, and talked a lot about this topic. And uh, as an in- inspector, he was very um, into this about dust explosions. And uh, as we have it in Sweden, uh, there are, um, I mean, an inspector for work environment, he should know a lot of things. He uh, should really be a generalist. <laughs> On, on many topics, but, but Lennart Eriksson,
0: who was this uh, inspector, uh, he uh,
1: was very interested in, in this topic. And after that, he, he, he provided with me with information about uh, uh, incident, incident reports that, uh, in, according to Swedish law, employers had to... Uh, Report, uh, yeah, working occupational injuries as well as incidents, and uh, among them, uh, also is also dust explosions. Only a minor, uh, mi- minor part of, of all the all, all the injuries and, and reports, of course. But but he was very committed to this, and uh, then we started to to work in this field together. Uh, I can say, and uh, but several years later, he, he was actually employed by us uh, as the BSL, as an under consultant, and we started to to discuss this again. And uh, as he had uh, a lot of um, good contacts to the authorities, he, he helped me to to uh, get into uh, this um, report. So, so we we could gather gather the reports, and we sh- we could sum- summarize them, and that was uh, thanks to Lennart that I, I I could get this. Uh, so, uh, so, so that was really the background, and 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 and, and, and uh, the other um, source of uh, information was from the Swedish uh, rescue services. Uh, Fire and rescue services that also uh, have reporting to do when when, when doing uh, response emergency response, for instance, for dust explosions. And so they should uh, they should provide uh, the Swedish Civil Contingency Agency uh, with with those uh, reports, but th- that was very poor. Uh, when it came to dust explosion, we couldn't more, uh, we, we couldn't uh, find more than perhaps five or ten, um, not not more than twenty in total during uh, these periods from 2011 to 2017. So, but we have some uh, material from them as well. So, so that's the back- background to this.
0: Perfect. So through your courses and your teaching you were connected with Leonard Devaldson, who was an inspector at the time and interested in combustible dust. You guys kind of discussed the issues and then I think later you said he was also came on board with PS group. But for the systematic review and looking at this lost history, it sounds like there were two main sources. So there were incident reports that were filed through to the the Work Environment Authority. So this would be the, the group responsible for kind of like occupational health and safety in the United States, and also the fire and rescue reports for any responses. It's it's interesting, because in the paper it mentions this national database, and then you were able to request the incidents from the national database. Do you see that process in other countries, or is that something that you found helps with getting this sort of information, this dust explosion loss history? No,
1: actually, uh, as you mentioned, Chris, I think... Um... Perhaps, uh, no, I, I don't know about other countries, but perhaps uh, if anyone could be inspired by uh, this report, I should urge uh, them to, to try to, to do the same in, in their countries. I don't know if it's doable, but I mean, many, many countries have the same uh, demand for reporting Injuries and incidents to to a um, central authority, but of course you are you, 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 that, that there are some um, barriers you 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 should uh, because of uh, it it could be uh, secrets uh, yes it could be um, industrial secrets for instance and things like that uh, but but I don't know do you know <laughs> Chris
0: well we're looking and and Ken and I have actually talked about this a number of times where they're doing this work in Sweden. um We're thinking about trying to create a sort of global working group where we have a contact in each country that is able to determine what information might be available and and then extract that and then we can get together and and you know once a quarter or something and try to combine the information together. This would really help with instant reporting like we do at dust safety science. We could also come up with some Strategies for dealing with things like trade secrets or confidential information, and, and have a, a collective approach globally on that. But we're, I don't think we're quite there yet, Ken. Unless <laughs> I don't think the, the working group hasn't been informed yet, so we're still looking for volunteers. If uh, anyone's listening to this, they can certainly find us. In terms, so we talked about how the information was collected, which I think I wanted to bring that up because I think it's some countries do a better job of collecting their their worker. In occupational health safety information, and then that makes it easier to do things like extract the sort of assessment from it. What were some of the main findings from the information you collected in your, your paper?
1: The statistics, we found that uh, among 3,000 uh, fires and explosions uh, that was reported, uh, about 250 uh, more or less uh, events involved the uh, Possible dust in one way or another. Uh, not only explosion, but also uh, smoldering and, and fires are in, uh, included in those events. 250 uh, events during, mainly from 2012 to 2017, so five years period. And uh, when it came to what kind of uh, dust one of three we found uh, involved uh, wood dust, which is not surprising because in Sweden we have a lot of wood, as you have it in Canada as well. Uh, so and, um, we have a big uh, wood industry, of course. And one of five involved uh, metal dust. So that that was when it comes to different fuels. And we could also. And 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 uh, we could also see some um, differences uh, because during this period we we know of uh, several other uh, dust explosions, but that wasn't uh, in, in the statistics, and I don't know I, I don't know why it could be that. Uh, it, it was uh, lost in, in, in the total of all, all these events to look at, or if it wasn't reported. But I could sense that on, on a common basis, I think yeah, there is uh, slight underreporting, meaning that not all the, the incidents are reported to, to the authorities.
0: Yes, and I would agree. So you're looking at 3,000 fires and explosions in the database, but only 250 or so of those were involving combustible dust. One hundred and one in three of these were wood dust and one in five were metal dust. I think I found from your report, um, at least for the metal dust, 27%. So one in four were explosions versus three and four would have been fires. The underreporting is a really good point. I mean, that's... The the biggest question at the end of the day is how how many are actually happening, and I would say in, in North America we're probably like in the United States are are capturing is maybe one in ten just from the same as you gut feel from talking to people that are involved and in, and in how many you know how many vent panels are replaced in in a year it's it's more than the number that we report in our instant reports, <laughs> so it's suggesting there's you know incidents that are happening that are going unreported, which is fine, but it does make it hard to compare from one country to another. Do you know how many explosions, roughly dust explosions, you were seeing roughly a year in Sweden from that data?
1: No, nope, I don't. Exactly.
0: I tried to estimate it. I didn't have all the information, but I estimated between 10 and 13 per year, um, just based on what was in the paper. And we'll try to get the paper together, actually. I think we might be able to share it in the show notes at eighty eight. If not, we'll we'll find a link to the, the ISHMI website and see if people can get it there. But I think may, we'll say 10 maybe a year from that data.
1: Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I, I, I recall that uh, we were thinking about one, once in a month or something like that.
0: Uh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: We, we know that it, 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 there are a lot of more explosions than that. But those are, are the reported ones.
0: There's a couple of interesting things I want to pull out here. Um, one is on the industries involved. So in Canada and the United States, we see a lot of wood dust explosions. We also see a lot of grain dust explosions and, and less of the metal. But it does seem like in Sweden and even some other countries like uh, Japan and, and other countries that we've done analysis on, we see a lot more metal dust incidents in that proportion than than grain and food. Is there a difference in the industries there? Do you see that Sweden maybe has more metal working, metal handling than, than these sort of grain industries? Or do, do you have any idea why that we might be seeing that in the data?
1: When it comes to metal dust in Sweden, we, we, have, uh, I mean, we, we have two more natural materials. It's, it's wood and iron ore. So, so, uh, and that makes we have a lot of uh, metal industry in Sweden as so. well uh we, of course we have um what do you call it uh, wheat and uh, another uh, <laughs> the grain industry um actually there was uh, a history of many uh, dust explosions in the grain industry but uh, I, as as the, the branch says they they have they have, they have coped with With those uh, problems, so uh, nowadays I have not uh, any statistics proof, but there are not that many uh, as it was earlier. Earlier years, I mean, I have different meals that was uh, on on a global basis, you know, uh, in Germany and the U.S. as well. That a very big uh, explosion in, in those meals, but I think, uh, I think yeah, they have learned to, to cope with that. Not saying that it, it, it's no hazard at all, but, but, uh, but uh, they have learned from experience.
0: That makes sense. Um, were there any other big takeaways or common themes that you found from looking through the, the lost history? Well, um, if, if we're looking at the incidents,
1: uh, we, we found that m- many of them uh, were. Uh, I mean, it was located in extraction systems uh, when it comes to uh, filters, cyclones, and things like that. It's just not very surprising because you have the smaller. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the dust uh, part uh, in those equipments. Uh, and uh, and even smoldering and, uh, and fires in those systems as well. And now we are talking about metal dust, uh, which we looked more into. Another thing was that the the, the big uh, uh, those explosions that ha- uh, had happened, we could find that uh, many had to do with uh, manual handling, for instance. Uh, Repair or uh, maintenance, cleaning, and things like that. And where often uh, ignorance was uh, involved in that. They didn't know. So, um, yeah, that was also fine. Manual operations as well as uh, location, more more in, uh, in dust extraction systems. And I think that's not so very surprising, Chris.
0: Yeah. So you're seeing more, some of these incidents caused by maintenance work, by cleaning, by probably by hot work as well. I see some other in here, thermal treatment, grinding and welding. Yeah. It's really interesting to kind of read through this. So we talked about some of the things, the commonalities that came out. I know in the the latter half of the paper, and I think we're going to record another podcast interview on this later, but there were a bunch of case studies on dust explosions. Um, do you think it's worth talking about any of those case studies here? Do you have any one that sticks out that, that uh, might provide some valuable insight for the listener? I
1: haven't uh, really thought about that, but uh, 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 if uh, we had one, uh, yes, one session of dust explosion for, uh, with uh, titanium, Dust. it was in connection with the uh, laser welding welding and you also had uh, this uh, inerting system around the the welding i think it was argonite or, uh, but uh, the problems there was also in the in in the dust extraction system because when, when the when the dust that wasn't uh, combusted or partly combusted came came out in the in the dust extraction system, uh, you, you had explosions uh, because uh, titanium, we you know, was very easily ignited. And it, it could uh, it could ignite all minor uh, electrostatic uh, discharges, for instance. So. When cleaning, they had explosions and uh, one of our operators got burned. Uh, They had also had uh, several fires um, in in the dust collector, uh, the the dust collecting system. Uh, So, after after, uh, many, many incidents, they decided and and, uh, also got uh, permission from the environmental uh, authorities. To, to let the t- titanium uh, dust uh, go unfiltered out to, to the atmosphere, to, to the surroundings. Now they are planning to, to, to expand their uh, production. And as they are expanding their production, they uh, produce also more uh, titanium dust. and. Uh, they will not have to. Uh, they, they are not uh, permitted to to to, uh, to inc- uh, increase this uh, pollution of titanium dust. So uh, now they are looking at the solution with inerting the filter, and I think uh, the latest was to to add uh, calcium carbonate. I think. It was a special, uh, 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 adding uh, inert powder into the filter. And I know also we have uh, another um, industry in Sweden that does the same and, and
0: already have this uh, new in- inerting uh, equipment and uh, are doing that uh, success uh,
1: successfully. And also, you, uh, about uh, the manual, about uh, the the cleaning and things like that, uh, they they had to do, do new. Uh, they have to make new uh, routines, uh, methods to clean it. So we don't uh, because it's that very ignitable
0: dust. And when they're doing that cleaning, do they have to remove the inerting? The system's no longer inerted when they go to clean it. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So that's the way that uh, it has been historic. And that's when they had had uh, their uh, fires and explosions.
0: Yes, we've seen that here in North America as well with a couple instances. But the one that comes to mind is Powder Part um, 3D printing application. They, they had a, a nerded 3D printer, but when you open it up, you lose your nerding. And then if you're cleaning that printer, which the, the individual that was injured, Was or is? Then you really need to be aware of the ignition sources you have. You need to be using correctly designed equipment, or else you can ignite that explosion. There, it's like the inerting system can be a false sense of security if you're not thinking about when, when it's not in place, because you think there's not a hazard there, oh, it's inerted, and then once that's removed, you're not being cautious of your ignition sources or your your location in relation to the the fuel and the powder.
1: Yes, exactly. the location is a key issue there yeah, because we have the, the inertia, uh, inerting in, in the welding chamber but when the, and during the welding, but as soon as you stop welding, you have, have problems
0: with, uh, with unoxidized uh, dust uh, in, in, the, in the dust channels and as well in, in the field before that was not, not removed. So they have to find
1: a new uh, new solutions for
0: that. Yes, and same thing with then the the filtering system and the dust collector. That dust that's coming out of there is unoxidized, um, so it can be very reactive. And then you can have you know more severe explosions in your extraction system. Would they use wet dust collection at all for for that type of system? Sorry, I, uh... you you mentioned that they were using calcium carbonate as a as a inertant. Would they maybe use consider using wet dust collection instead of dry dust collection for those type of metal applications?
1: I know that uh, it had, had come up as well, but in, uh, and why, I don't know, but uh, it, it wasn't suitable for their process.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they come out there. And I've had discussions about that. West, wet dust collection is also an option, but then you need to deal with the, the slurry that you created if you want to extract that and get it back then you need to dry the dust and get the liquid out of there <laughs> and then you 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 you're kind of just pushing the problem somewhere else so it may not be a solve all which is maybe why they're they're looking at the cal- the solid inerting um, as an alternative. Yes. Uh, and I, I
1: don't know about the, the the water reaction with titanium as, as if, uh, for instance aluminum.
0: Right. I Want to turn a little bit to uh safedustexplosion.org and how did that come about? That idea to create that that new new website.
1: Well, it it is it was also a long history of um, yeah uh, frustration uh, frustration about the, the the low awareness about uh, dust explosions, and we and 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 knowing that there are a lot of information out there, we have a lot of specialists and. Researchers uh, doing great jobs and um, reports, but they don't uh, come out to, to to the stakeholders that uh, really need the knowledge. Not everything is uh, is uh, designed for for the stakeholders, of course, because because it's on a high theoretical level. But uh, but but the, the the main findings and the conclusions should. Um, should come out and uh, for for instance, if you go uh, if we still look at the metal dust explosions and we we know that you you can't use the uh, the the VDA VDI guidelines or even the European norms for uh, sizing of bands when it comes to uh, to uh, certain
0: uh, metals. And even iron, titanium, uh, aluminium,
1: and things like that, magnesium. But uh, if if you uh, if you look uh, out uh, in the industry, I'm I'm not sure that they know that. For instance, it's 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 a well-known fact that uh, you have to size up uh, uh, the the venting uh, panels. But I don't think that's uh, common common knowledge. For instance...
0: Yes, not everyone has uh, studied under Dr. Ralph Eckhoff. Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, things like that. and uh, They also have, of course, the the suppliers of equipment. They should also be aware of this, of course. They have a great responsibility. But on the other hand, we have no... uh, in Sweden, we have no uh, special uh, demands for competent persons, for instance, uh, meaning that anyone can be an ethics consultant or a specialist or a expert on this subject. And uh, yeah, we, we have no uh, we have no control of uh, competence in this field.
0: Another challenge that uh, Monica Ramanato mentioned back in episode eight of the podcast in brazil was a language barrier so there a lot of um, folks you know wouldn't read english or wouldn't necessarily speak english so then the the question is how do you relay that relay that information to them and she's really translating a lot of the stuff we're creating to portuguese and using that and i think the same thing with safe dust explosion is i noticed a lot of the the articles. I mean, some of them are in English. I think you did the English ones just so I could read them, <laughs> which is very nice for you. <laughs> They're very nice. Yes, of course. Of course. But a lot of it's in, in in Swedish, which I think is extremely helpful for the local community to to start to understand the hazards.
1: Yes. Uh, we, uh, w- one of the subgroups uh, connected to a state-class explosion is after the report and research, uh, the pilot study of metal dust explosion, one of the main findings was that, as I said, there's a lot of knowledge out there, but it's it, it's not distributed. So we, the reference group uh, is still uh, uh, meeting, and uh, we have uh, this digital working room, a uh, safe dust explosion, and we have... Uh, Three or four meetings a year, where different industries, uh, for instance, coal, for brick, as you have mentioned, that uh, we had uh, aluminium dust explosions, uh, as well as others, are involved. So, uh, what our discussions uh, at the latest meeting was uh, about um, education, the courses, the training. Uh, so one of the, one of the uh, industries uh, presented their uh, training and uh, the day after uh, the second industry uh, put in their uh, materials about uh, training as well and I think uh, one of the issues that were discussed was that many of the industry not everyone reads Swedish even and uh, how to cope with that so then that's a, that's a, that's a uh, big problem of course you have to deal
0: with in some way yeah, I think that's something that we can work on together moving forward with the safety science and with safe dust explosion and the other kind of um groups and and research companies and maybe even that the global working group on incident reporting if we start to work those together, then we can get some approaches that are apply apply more broadly to to um to many different countries so I think that's probably it for this episode. We're going to record at a later date um, an episode going through some of these incident case studies that you were looking at in this paper. So I mentioned I'll try to get the paper together and see if we can share it at com slash 88 so that the audience can can read through um, some of the the numbers and the statistics and those case studies that we don't have a chance to cover today. I do want to say thank you for coming on. I know we're uh, we're getting into uh, Swedish holiday Um is it midsummer day, or what's the what's the holiday that's coming up?
1: Exactly, it's it's midsummer in Sweden. It's uh, the is day, that, and, and in the north, uh, the sun don't go down at all. So, but in southern Sweden, we we have a very short night.
0: Well, I do appreciate you taking some of your time coming into that um, holiday weekend to to talk with us on the podcast, um, and I appreciate the work that you're doing in she's handling blast over there. I'm looking forward to to working together and. You know, bring on more partners to, to tackle this problem of combustible dust from a global level moving forward as well.
1: My pleasure, Chris. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks, Ken. And I'm looking forward to getting you back on the podcast in the future to talk through some of these metal dust case studies as well.
1: Yes, certainly.
0: So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Ken Nesby, Senior Consultant with BSL Industries, formerly the Process Safety Group, the PS Group, um, based out of Sweden. We talked through loss history in Sweden from 2011 to 2017 in terms of combustible dust. Uh, this was based on a paper that was titled "Metal Dust Explosions in Sweden" that uh, Ken and his co-author uh, Leonard Evalsen, released at Ishmi in 2018 International Symposium hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions, that was held in Kansas City at the the Fike uh, facility there. So in the interview in the episode, we talked through how is this process completed, talked through some things around how this information can be collected from government groups, from reporting that's required to um, occupational and health and safety groups, and then how maybe we can extract that out. We're doing the same sort of thing here in in, in, uh, Canada and United States as well. Um, They're looking into fire and rescue and response. That might be another source of information. Ken went through some of the statistics. I'll just sort of summarize them here. They found 3,000 incidents reporting in this global database related to fires and explosions. Of these, 237 involved combustible dust, so about 250. Looking at the data, wood was the most highly reported one, followed by metal, followed by grain dust. In terms of explosions for metal dust, the metal dust incidents were 27% of the incidents that reported. So we're looking somewhere around 10 to 12 dust explosions reported in Sweden throughout that period that Ken was looking at. And there's a lot of good takeaways in the paper. Uh, a lot of the case studies talk about very specific things. And we talked about one of these in this episode with the titanium dust that was under a nerd system. But then the the dust collection system, extraction system wasn't inerted. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with times when you need to open the, the equipment up um, for cleaning? How do you deal with times when maybe the inerting system's down? And it's even more important when you have the sort of system in place to have the operators understand the hazard. It's not the hazard doesn't disappear because you inert it. You just put a, a control or a safety guard in front of it. So when that safety guard's gone, you really need to know, okay, now you have, you know, not not oxidized metal. That's very can be very ignition-sensitive, and you really need to be hypersensitive to how, how you tackle those type of processes in that scenario. At the end of the episode, we talked through thought process behind safedustexplosion.org. This is a, a website that's devoted to um combustible dust safety in Sweden for training it's really based on the back of a lot of the research groups that Ken's part of and others in Sweden um, try to tackle this problem of combustible dust. So I want to say thank you again for Ken coming on. Um, we're going to try to bring on more uh, people from around the globe that are doing research in this area for combustible dust safety. As I mentioned, Ken and I and, and others have been talking about how do we, how do we standardize and, and put a global system in place for incident tracking so we can generate these lessons learned not just in one country or not just in a couple, but uh, you know, across the world. And we're kind of developing this working group idea, uh, so if you're interested in being involved in that, if you have connections with government agencies that you could kind of pull that information from, certainly reach out to myself, uh, Chris at science.com, or we'll have a way to connect with Ken um, from the show notes at DustSafetyScience.com/88 as well. So that's it for this episode. I want to say, as always, stay safe and have a have a good week ahead, a productive week ahead. I just want to say thank you for everything you're doing in handling combustible dust around the world.